KPCA LP, Petaluma, California. Once again, another Friday. Yep, another Friday. So, um, how are things going for you today? Well, things are going okay for me today. How are things going for you today? Well, uh, I'm hanging in there. I uh, had a little bit of a surprise. Um, uh, that was I, a surprise. Yeah, I, you know, with this COVID thing, all throughout the pandemic, I... I've been following all the protocols as best as I can. I've been uh, socially distant from people. I haven't seen people in many years that I'd like to see. I've been wearing masks when I uh, am out in public and going into indoor spaces. Try to avoid crowds generally. And um, well, I started feeling a little bit uh, congested. And um, I have been vaccinated. That's a good thing. Uh, so I was pretty confident that I was in good shape. Um, but I wanted to rule out the possibility that I had COVID. And I went ahead and uh, got a test. And instead of ruling it out, it was ruled in. So I've been infected with COVID-19 SARS-2. And uh, I have to say, so far, um, so good. I mean, it's not good. <laughs> but... Yeah. I have a little bit of shortness of breath at times, especially after I've been talking for a while. Uh, a little bit of head and chest congestion. Uh, no fever to speak of. Um, so actually, you know, I've been way sicker before from other things. But the point is, even if you're vaccinated, uh, you can still get infected. You can still transmit it to other people. And I'm beginning to think how I might have gotten it was actually a visit to the dentist. I hadn't gone to the dentist in quite a long time. Uh, like many people, I'm sure, uh, for a while you couldn't even go to the dentist. And then once vaccine, vaccines came out and we started opening up again and we're dropping, you know, mask rules for people that are vaccinated, um, you know, dentist offices started opening. But it's the only place where I've been uh, exposed for a prolonged period of time without a mask indoors. And the timing of... Uh, when my symptoms uh, started, uh, does lead me to believe that it was that, that dental appointment that I had. So I would just advise listeners to be extremely careful, even if you're vaccinated. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just assume that everybody has it. Assume that you have it. And uh, take care not only of yourself, but other people. Because right. uh, you don't know how, it's, how everybody's going to respond to it. In my case, uh, being vaccinated with a J&J... Um, you know, like the science has indicated, uh, I, I'm well protected from being hospitalized or having severe symptoms. But that's me. Uh, for somebody else who's a little bit more compromised uh, in terms of their immune system or what have you, uh, that may not be the case. And, of course, there's kids that can't even be vaccinated uh, yet. Uh, if you're under 12, they're, they're not able to be vaccinated yet. So all of this, to me, is... Um, is pretty compelling in terms of the argument for tightening things up. 
making sure that we require masks. Uh, in San Francisco, I just saw that now they're going to require COVID-19 vaccine proof for entry into indoor public venues. And um, yeah, I'm curious what kind of policies we could we could do locally uh, in order to uh, really protect public safety. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're on the mend and not suffering too much, but I'm sorry. Sorry you had to go through that. Yes, and here's an example. goes to show you can't be too careful. You just so, can't be too careful with this. So the few paragraphs that I just spoke, i got to take a break. Are you winded? <laughs> a little winded, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> that, that's unusual for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So... Um, yeah, so uh, Janice is down in L.A. where her grandson is playing in the, what is it, the Petaluma Little League? Do you, I don't follow. I, is it Petaluma Little League? Is that where grandson yeah. is? I yeah. guess so. Our yeah. guest is nodding yes. Maybe we should invite the guest in to participate in our conversation. Makes sense to me. Yeah, all right. So this morning we have with us our um, Petaluma City Councilman, Brian Barnacle. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. Great to be back. Yeah, glad to have you back. Thanks for being here. So, yeah, you you were nodding. I guess you've been you I've, I've been in touch with Janice, but you have probably more knowledge about the baseball little league than I do. Yeah, we're one win away, and we've got one game left. So we've pedaled uh, in the national twelve uh, numbers. Um, are down in San Bernardino right now. Unfortunately, we lost yesterday to Hawaii. Um, and so we have one more game, uh, one more game left. And if we win that, we are headed to Pennsylvania for the Little League World Series. Wow. So, um, yeah, it's a Exciting great stuff. accomplishment for the young, young gentleman. And, uh, you know, it's, it's great to see him playing and, and, and competing. And um, I, the, the things I've observed, there's been great sportsmanship, too, with, with the parents and, and everybody on and all the teams that I've seen so far. So, so well, this would be cool. the second time Petaluma's been in, in the Champions, right? Yeah, in in recent memory, for sure. Yeah, that's great. That's exciting. Yeah. yeah, really great. So, uh, what's happening in the city of Petaluma, Brian? <laughs> um, as I know. Indeed, indeed. We are on, reso- in, uh, on recess the council is this month, so we don't have any council meetings this month, and it feels a little, I mean, I've had three meetings a month with the council for the last six months, so it feels a little bit, a little bit less, I'm missing my Zoom friends, yeah. um, but, uh, but and, and, you know, with the, the rise of the Delta variant, it feels a little awkward to be um, outside of the city realm, but we're, we're staying up to date. Uh, I received a memo yesterday from the city saying that they're working on implementing the county health officer's uh, uh, new order for emergency safety um, first responders to be either vaccinated or submit weekly tests. So we'll be implementing that, I believe, by September 1st is what I heard. So we're, we're taking some precautions. And, and yeah, uh, to Jason's point about, you know, what can we require for indoor venues and things like that, I, you know, those are things that I'm, I'm thinking about, too. And, and I know in the, in the memoir I received yesterday, the city is exploring what they can do um, with the 
the, the labor unions that represent, you know, the remainder of city staff, but also um, what we can do with the business community. So though, I think that the um, the rising cases of COVID right now are are kind of dominating um, people's minds. Uh, personally, I'm getting a little weary with, uh, we've had a couple of days of smoke, but nothing really significant. And that's got me a little, feeling a little trepidation and, and just, and worry. Um, water, obviously we're, you know, we're really, really concerned about water. The good news is, is we have been hitting our water reduction targets. The bad news is, is that the, the amounts of reduction that they're asking us for and that they need um, continue to increase. So, you know, we're going to be doing more and more and more and more and <laughs> to try and save water. So, you know, we need to be letting our lawns go brown and watering mature trees every once in a while to make sure they don't die. But, you know, water is, is front of mind for everybody. Um, Brian, you know, more on the... Okay, yeah, go ahead. On that point on the, on the lawns, um, I mean, I, I live in a subdivision of Victoria, and I have a lot of neighbors with big green lawns, and I know that there are... Uh, you know, we, we've been asked to save water. We've been asked to limit our watering to certain uh, times uh, in the evening. But how do we make people just let their lawns go brown? I, I've asked that question. I, I haven't got an answer. Yeah. But that's, you know, for me, that's, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. I, I have some neighbors who have let their lawns go brown and removed all of it. And I have one neighbor who put a new lawn in, you yeah. know, three That's weeks before, the, uh, before the, the, the drought was announced. So, yeah, some people are taking it really seriously and understanding, you know, what their role is and other people aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to someone the other day who, who had a great thought about, um, you know, having the bucket in either uh, near your kitchen sink or in your bathroom to capture the water initially and then go out and use that to, to water your, your plants um, so that you can keep, you know, mature shrubs and trees alive. But we really, you know, we need to be making changes to the way we behave. And that's, um, yeah. Well, and then also I would imagine for, uh, for new development that's being approved, I mean, are we looking at, you know, putting in some sort of gray water system so that, Instead of having to capture it in a bucket, all of that water could then be used I don't, maybe for on-site storage and then used for landscaping. Um, I would I would imagine that we're looking at, at ways that we can tweak the uh, the requirements for future building in that respect. No. Yes. Yes. There's a couple. Um, I can't remember the developments, but there's been some who who have uh, built in you know gray water valves and things like that to to enable that. Um, the other things we can do is just not build giant single-family homes that have uh, large lawns, yeah. right? I mean, that's the other way. Is it's just those, that type of housing is um, is far more, uh, you know, intensive from a resource standpoint than, um, you know, townhomes, condos, things like that that are, you know, more modest on the, on the consumption. Is there a moratorium in place right now to... Um stop the installation of swimming pools? Do you know? I don't know that. With the the last drought, with the last drought, I think that was put into place. We want to do that for both pools and for lawns. 
Well, currently yeah. they're not allowed to fill new pools, but yeah, in terms of actually uh, even approving the permit of, of building new pools and hot tubs for that matter, um, I'm, I think the answer is no so far, right? Yeah, I haven't heard of anything like that. It wouldn't surprise me if it was. Um, I'm thinking back now. There's our water management plan has like six different tiers, and I think we're in tier three now. Um, and that's the, the first tier of mandatory reduction. And so we're. Um, and I'm I'm having trouble recalling exactly what was included in tier three versus tier four, and, and so on. Well, we, none, we, nonetheless, it just it, it just makes sense not to not to do those things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we were talking about COVID uh, at the beginning of uh, our conversation, and and I know there was a recent vote uh, on the city council uh, with respect to uh, some funding uh, that the city received. Uh, this is part of the stimulus uh, for COVID relief. And I can't remember the number or how much we were getting. You can fill in those details. But you were alone in voting against that uh, decision to spend the funding uh, for infrastructure and some other things. Maybe you could um, get into that a little bit for our listeners. Yeah. Well, I was alone on some things and not alone on others. But we had the federal government spent uh, $8.3 million to... Um, to the city of Petaluma for COVID recovery, and it could be used for, you know, various different things. Um, but, you know, in, in, from my view, that that was supposed to be to help people who have been hurt by COVID. Um, and so there's certain things that we, we unanimously authorized, the council did, um, like building a tiny home, uh, a tiny home village for, uh, for our unhoused community, and, um, you know, we, we unanimously supported some renovations to City Hall that were contentious, HVAC re- uh, renovations. Those were important. Um, you know, it, optically it looked a little funny to be investing in a renovation of City Hall, but in order for us to repopulate City Hall with city staff, and then with the Measure U funding coming in, we're going to be adding staff. Um, we needed to use the, the West Wing that currently isn't being used, um, and in order to come into compliance with the, the current health and safety codes, we had to upgrade our, our HVAC system. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was sort of a, a showstopper if we don't do that sort of thing. Um, and then there was a series of other things that were, for my view, not urgency. They don't fit in the, in the area of urgent, and we had until 2024 to, to spend the money. And... Um, the city hasn't done a list of outreach to businesses who have been closed, who closed during COVID, or people that have, um, you know, there's like 600 uh, different water meters that haven't paid their bill since COVID hit with an average delinquent um, payment of, of $1,100. Um, and we didn't do any outreach to those people because, and while the state is looking at legislation to forgive, um, to forgive, uh, delinquent water bills and make cities whole for that. Um, you know, there's other things that they're behind on too. Car maintenance, going to the dentist, right? Going sure. to just doing things that, you know, if you've lost your job, um, the things that you put off because you don't have an income. And so 
the thing that probably was the most sticking point for me is it's the process that we went by to, to allocate the money is that we didn't do a look of outreach to people who had been really hurt by COVID. And so, you know, if there's a business that closed, like, should we be helping them with retraining or, you know, are they planning to reopen a different business and can we help them with any sort of fee waivers or, right. you know, business plan support, anything? I don't know. This is me. I, you know, I was blessed and, um, you know, I, I know Councilmember Fisher lost her job during during the pandemic, but I don't think anyone else on the council was impacted by COVID in, in that way. Right. And, you know, I just feel like we were really out of touch with uh, with the, the, the true needs of the people who have been hit hardest. And so, yeah, I voted against some things. Well, there's um, also a bonus for employees, correct? And, and I, I don't mean any disrespect to the people that work very hard at the city and, you know, are deserving of, of <laughs> a bonus. That isn't really the point. Um, but but it, it does have some interesting optics for people who are really struggling, who don't have jobs, who have lost businesses, as you've mentioned. And then, of course, what about other direct actual health need uh, things? I mean, investing in masks, investing in, in testing, more public outreach to to ensure that people are safe, uh, you know, helping people find vaccines. Uh, it's, it, was any money allocated towards things like that that are really directly related to COVID? No, no, Jason. Um, that was, you know, so on the, on the area of the staff stipend, um, I supported that. And I, looking back on it, I actually kind of regret it because, um, you know, I feel like it just, it violated some of my principles. Um, but at the same time, I do really appreciate the fact that, you know, our staff during COVID went above and beyond. And many of them were, you know, working tremendously long hours to, um, to put out community update emails, to work with businesses, to work with, you know, people who are, you know, needing um, medical attention. But on that front, I, I, I support that. And, you know, when, as, a, as a business owner myself, when your staff works, you know, overtime, when your staff works hard and they go through something like that, you know, a bonus is the way that you recommend, you know, you reward them and appreciate yeah. them. Um, that said, it, it, you know, it's, um, you know, it, it optically and um, and when you think of it relative to the hardships that other people have faced, it's not right. Um, and then to your point about the, uh, the direct investment in testing, education, things like that, you know, the, the money came forward and it, and it was almost like COVID's over, you know, and, and, and now here we are a couple of weeks later and, um, you know, I, I wonder if the headlines were two weeks ago were what they are today, if we would be, um, if we would have spent the money the same, right? If, if the council would have reconsidered um, the, the allocation of all of this, you know, non-urgent um, spending, you know, instead of, you know, mass testing, um, helping helping schools, right? All of our schools are going back right now at a time when cases are spiking and yeah. children are being afflicted more than ever. Right. And um, and I, I'm seriously concerned about schools going back now um, in a way that, you know, I don't think I was even six months ago or eight months ago. Yeah. So there's, um, 
we just don't know what we don't know. And that's one of the, you know, I kept saying it the whole time we were in the council meeting that, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And, and that's what we should be planning for. That's I, the real risk. I was really surprised that it had to be spent so quickly. Was there some sort of uh, time expiration if the money weren't spent? Or what? why couldn't there have been a little bit of a pause just to make sure the, the the money couldn't be better directed, or as you just mentioned, maybe in a reserve in, in case things got worse as they are getting worse with the pandemic. Well, didn't you yeah, mention I mean, that it was 2024 that you had to spend that money, correct? Yeah, we had to spend it. We have to spend it by the end of 2023. So we've got plenty of time oh, okay. to spend money. We exactly. can spend money. We can sure. spend money quickly, um, or we can or we can hold on to it. So. Your point that there wasn't a sense of urgency with the, with the exception of things that are urgent, right? Like if we want to repopulate City Hall, we need to make those, you know, those upgrades so that we can get people back in. Um, you know, so there's certain things that we felt were urgent, um, and there's certain things that, from my view, um, they weren't urgent, and we shouldn't even have allocated the money because um, we should be, you know, you know, really making sure that we're spending it on the, the highest and best use. And um, there was so little integrity in the process that we went about to, to allocate the money that I just, I can't be confident that we spent it on our highest and best use. And, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of disappointed in my fellow council members, but, you know, I'm not going to win them all. Well, there's also the staff issue where you have, I think it's something like 70-something percent of the staff are vaccinated. That's a, that's a lot of people that aren't vaccinated, and why couldn't there have been some contingency uh, for uh, getting that stipend uh, so that you have to be vaccinated in order to get it? Yeah, we, we received some pushback from, yeah, we received some pushback on some of those things. There's a couple of ideas about how to repurpose the stipend in a way that was more, um, right. you know, to, to spend the money downtown. Right, there was a one that was, you know, why don't we give people shop them a gift card so that if we're going to, you know, give yeah. our staff $350,000, essentially it's $350,000 that also is being invested in our downtown business. Yeah, I like that. I was yeah. super supportive of that. Um, I, and the other one was, you know, can we make it as a contingency, you know, you have to be vaccinated or at least have a doctor's note that say you, you know, say you know, shouldn't be vaccinated. Right. Um, and that one, I believe the concern, I think both of them was a concern with, um, with our labor union and just that um, something like that would have to be bargained. So um, that was, uh, that was the concern, but, for me, I, I wish both of them would have been the case, really, because um, as it goes now, we're, you know, I, I don't even know, you know, if, if seven, I, the number this morning was 72% of staff um, who have reported, which there might be people who are vaccinated and haven't reported, um, but we don't know what departments they're in, right. you know, and I, I don't know whether, you know, what if, the majority of those people are, are first responders, and I don't. We don't know that. Um, and our, you know, and first responders aren't required to be vaccinated anyway. No. So the order coming out from the county is that first responders either have to be vaccinated or they have to be. Um, they have to submit weekly tests. Mm -hmm. So that that's going to be implemented by September first, 
Okay. Um, and, but we we haven't required anything to this point. And I, um, you know, I think that for me, I'm feeling like as elected leaders, as as the community, we kind of let our guard down. Yeah. You know, a little bit. We 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 saw these great vaccine rates and um, yeah. and the success of them, and we we didn't take into account the the evolution of the virus, and we um, you know relaxed our mask uh, mask rules and guidelines, and um, we're back to holding in person events and and things like that. And we we need to move back that way, but I just. For me uh, personally, I feel like I, I know I've let my guard down, um, and um, and as a governing body, I don't think we've really championed vaccines, widespread testing, in the way that that we should. Um, well, it, it's important for the council to be united on that front and uh, lead by example and leading on the science. And um, you know, we're doing that on climate change. I think the council has been pretty united on that. Uh, but uh, but I, it would be very good for there to be a consistency there instead of cherry-picking the science. So I, I would love to see all of the council members embrace the recommendations of our Sonoma County uh, health officer when it comes to the safety and efficacy of vaccines for those who are eligible. And um, I know that most, I mean, really all but one of the council members have been on that page. So I, I hope that the, the other one can jump aboard as well because... Um, you know, it, it's great to be leading with science on climate change. That's a crisis we need to face, and we need to listen to the science on that. But as we know, we also need to do that with this with this pandemic. Very real. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'll, I'll just say that while you know, Councilmember Fisher got you know she got roasted in the paper. Um, response to a reporter and, and that article isn't going to go out and get people vaccine, vaccinated. You know, as a council, we need to be publicly promoting vaccines, yes. promoting the science. Yep. Um, and none of us have. You know, when you go to our, our social media pages, um, I haven't received a single email from any of the council members to their constituents promoting vaccines. You know, we really have not been leading on this issue um, as a council. And yep. Um, and we need to. And, yeah. um, and it's, uh, it, the, the irony for me in this is that the person who was fighting hardest to get the money to the people who needed it was, was Councilmember Fisher. Sure. And um, and she's also the person who's been pushing hardest on climate change. Because I yeah. disagree that our council is leading on climate change. I think we're, we're saying a lot of good things, but we're, we're leaving a lot to be desired as well. And... Um, you know, like something the New York Times uh, showed a graphic this week that the the week of extreme heat that the West saw uh, last month mm-hmm. was responsible for a larger spike in American deaths than the worst week of COVID. Right. So we're talking about COVID and how bad it is, but like, what are you know that's that's one week of extreme heat caused by climate change, and that's the that's the, the elephant that's slowly walking towards us as we're, right. you know, playing whack-a-mole with, with different variants of COVID is that, you know, climate's going to kill more people than, than COVID, in my and opinion. The, and, and the point is we're learning that from the science. And so it's important that we have leaders that yeah. lead with science, not just picking and choosing which science, 
but science <laughs> as it applies <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> so that, that's my big problem there, and, and I, I hope that she fixes it. It's, it's very simple. She can just come out and support the safety and efficacy of vaccines and recommend that, that we all get them. That's, that's all. Regardless of whether she gets the vaccine. Sure. I mean, the point is, is that, you know, nobody is an island here. Um, I, when I drive a car and I'm emitting GHGs, I can't just say this is my personal right to drive a car. Um, the, G, the greenhouse gases don't sit inside my car. <laughs> they, they go outside. They affect everybody else. It's the same thing with the pandemic. You know, the, the more people that aren't vaccinated, the, the more that the virus can mutate, become more contagious, more deadly, and, and really then prevent us from reopening like we want. Everybody wants to go back to business. Everyone wants live events. But um, we, need to, we need to do the right thing on this. I, what do you think? Do you think we're going to have to go back into a shelter-in-place mode? Because I'm, I'm thinking we might. You know, I, I, personally, I don't support going back to a shelter-in-place mode in Petaluma. About 84% of our residents are vaccinated inside okay. the city limits. Um, and we need to, uh, you know, we need to understand that that 84% can, can carry and transmit and have yep. very, you know, mild symptoms. Right. Um, but I don't think that it's, it's right to our business community um, to shut down our economy again um, for 16% of the people who um, who are, are still at risk, you know, their life is at risk, um, because they've had every opportunity to do it. And, um, and you know, I know that leaves out certain people who have pre-existing conditions that, right. you know, you know, limit them their ability to do it, but I really would resist the idea of, of doing another full shelter in place just because our business community has been through so much, in large part, um, 80, you know, 84% of our community is, is protected from what would be a life-threatening disease, and, and the people who, who aren't protected, it's, you know, it's their personal choice at this point. And so um, that's at least how I view it. Yeah, sure, but how about let's not do the shelter in place, but if you want to operate a business and you're allowing people to enter your business, uh, why not require proof of vaccination or testing? Uh, uh, again, I think the city's I think the city's looking at some of that, um, you know, especially for um, for business, you know, large events. You know, I'm thinking the Petaluma Music Festival last week didn't have any requirements around vaccines, and um, you know, and or, or proof of a negative test and races or mask requirements exactly, and, and that's um, you know my heart goes out to him. I was one of the people there. You know, I'm vaccinated, but I was there without a mask, and I was enjoying myself and yeah. and um, and I just it. It's, uh, we need to do more. And this, yeah. I know the city's looking into it. Um, I, I don't know what the right, the right solution is for, for the business community. Well, and and one thing I'm, I'm open to ideas. Well, one thing that's and, clear and science, is, right? I want to hear the science. Absolutely. Well, one thing that's clear is the science says that N95 masks are the preferred mask to go with. 
are there funds still available that could be spent on providing N95 masks to the public through businesses, through outreach from the city, maybe by mail? I don't know. I, I, I don't need one. The city doesn't have to spend a dime on me because I can buy my own N95 mask. But for the people in need, for the people that have them, is there some funding available that we could do at least that? Yeah, there is. There's, we still haven't un- allocated $650,000. Okay. That's, it feels like nothing in the scheme of things. Um, but we still have some funding. Yeah, I, I was even thinking, like, should we be buying people here for, for their home, knowing yeah. that the, the sort of additional benefits that you could, that someone could see as, um, you know, having clean air at their home for, for COVID purposes, but also for wildfires. Yeah. For gas stoves. You yeah. know, the, the, the threat of having a gas stove with inadequate ventilation and knowing that that, you know, that that impacts renters um, more than anyone and that renters don't have the agency to change their appliances and things like that. Um, you know, I feel like it's, I feel like air purifiers are, are a true equity play when you think about just the type of climate adaptation, mitigation, things like that that we're dealing with here um, in, in Sonoma County in particular. Well, it's a good point because when the smoke happens again, obviously people close their windows so they're indoors, and then if they're using a gas stove, they, do, they don't have the same kind of ventilation uh, typically unless they've got the over-the-head thing. Um, but... Um, yeah, I've seen some people making their own uh, with fans and, uh, yeah. uh, you know, getting the filters from the uh, from the hardware store. And um, so there's That's some what I did last year. Yeah. Box yeah. fan and a Move 13 filter. Yeah. Uh, you're listening to KPCA 103.3 FM, and this is Inside Petaluma. Today, our guest is Brian Barnacle, who is a member of our Petaluma City Council. And I'm going to kind of switch gears here so we don't lose track of time. Uh, I, I want to hear a little bit about uh, your thoughts on transportation within the city, Brian. Yeah, I've been causing some ruckus on the transportation front recently. <laughs> um, you got a little survey <laughs> going. <laughs> I do have a little survey going, and it is... Um, it's illuminating a lot of interesting and alarming stories. And, you know, I'll start by saying that traditionally politicians, um, and, and by way of politicians, I think cities, um, message transportation in terms of paving and traffic because it's the things that people see most. Right. You know, on the bad side, I'm stuck in traffic for 30 minutes or something. And on the good side, they paved my house and they paved the street in front of my house, right? So, those are the big things that, that can be celebrated. So, for me, I, I guess this is where I become a progressive or, or even a radical, is that um, transportation isn't about traffic and it's, not about, um, and it's not about paving as much as it is about safety and connectivity. Yeah. Um, and so those are the things that I'm thinking about. And every time that we are spending money on transportation, um, to me, it should be also be a safety project, and uh, it's not. We're not. We're not focused on safety right now. We're spending money, and there's uh, the council is having um, inadequate qualitative oversight of our spending on transportation, in my opinion. And I, I've said that 
um, a few different times now on, on different projects. I think I've, I've voted against every single transportation project that's come forward with the exception of one so far. And I've been on the tail end of 6-1 votes every single time. That was the one so, um, for? The paving of Lynch Creek Trail in the, oh. into the downtown area. And, Good and job on that, by that the way. That I, yeah. um, I rode my bike on, on that right after it had been uh, freshly paved, and it's a huge improvement over what it was before. Huge improvement. Yeah, that's, uh, that's something that absolutely should happen. Um, but when you're dealing with limited time and limited money, everything has an opportunity cost. Yeah. And and we're not going to get a second chance to go back to these streets that we've been servicing in town recently and um, implement the sort of no regret, no regret, low cost, um, safety improvements that we'd like to see. You know, so for example, we 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 did slurry sealing at McDowell and at Washington, and that's. Um, by pure accident numbers, I think it has the most accidents of any intersection in our city. Wow. And, um, you know, so if you're, if you're, if you're slurry feeling it, you have to go back and restrike the lanes and do things like that. Well, the, the things that oftentimes are happening in this time is uh, paving or painting green lanes there and green bike boxes at the front so that, there's a dedicated place for cyclists, and they and and cars know this is an area for cyclists. This is in, and that's how you keep them safe. And we didn't do any of that. And when the project was approved initially, um, we asked staff, "Are you, you know, what's the deal with striping?" Yeah. They said, "We're going to be doing, um, you know, we're going to be evaluating all of that in the final specification." And then they came back with a 1.6 million dollar contract extension for the for the vendor who's doing the work, and we asked about, you know, what changed in the, in the initial project, and nothing changed. And when I asked why, um, they said, well, that stuff takes time. And I said, but you said you were going to look at it in the initial project. And now, you know, here we, we slowly feel 50 miles of road in the city, and nothing's going to change from a striping standpoint. And when, you, when we think about the build-out of the city, I mean, just with the, the projects that are in the pipeline right now that we know are going to be built and are already approved, I think it's probably 1,500, 2,000 units, something like that, 20, maybe 2,500 units, as, as many of us, um, that are coming to our city. And we can't build roads out of, out of traffic congestion. The only way we're going to mitigate traffic is by making the alternative easier and safer. Yeah. And when our council... Um, ignores uh, the whole issue of safety as we're approving transportation projects, and it becomes, um, you know, we're just we're dooming our city to more and more traffic. And then we promise things like Rainier, which we know is not going to reduce traffic. You know, anyone who's read the traffic study knows that. And so, um, you know, it's just really, really bad leadership by our, our city council to, to not be really, you know, having a stronger attention to safety. And and our and our numbers around schools um, and the number of students who walk and bike to school, like only less than 30% of the students who, who go to Petaluma High School and live within one mile walk or bike. You know, when I when I was in school, it was probably, probably similar, but 
you know, there was a time when, you know, children were out walking and biking all over the city. Yep. My grandpa talks about it all the time. And um, and now parents won't let, them, won't let their kids do that. And we wonder why they're playing video games and on their phones all day and things like that. Um, we strip them of their independence because we have built this car culture that's unsafe for them. Right. Mm. Oh, it's true. And, I mean, what can you do with this if we're trying to get people to, to, to get out on a bike? If they don't feel safe, how are they going to do it? How can we move them to do that? Um, so I would say, yeah, that's kind of inconsistent with our climate uh, goals. Uh, so we've got to get people... The largest source of emissions. Yeah. Transportation is the largest source of emissions by a long shot. 65% of our emissions. And cow methane. Yeah. <laughs> that's a whole other story. <laughs> that's not inside of city limits, though. That's, that's <laughs> a county issue. But yeah. in Petaluma, yeah. and, and six, almost 70% of trips Start in Petaluma, end in Petaluma, and are less than five miles. Mm. Well, that's a, that's a huge opportunity to shift shift the mode of transportation there. Um, but we can't reasonably ask people to do that if it means taking their life in their hands. Right. You know, we've got to we've got to focus on safety. We're putting a, we're putting in uh, an electric bike sharing program at the smart station uh, downtown, and. You know, those intersections, those streets around there have a lot of accidents. There's already right. congestion there. And think about the, for people who have ridden an electric bike, there is a learning curve. Yeah. And those people, there's going to be people who show up into Petaluma and take their maiden voyage on an electric bike, likely without a helmet, going out onto either D Street or Washington Street. Like, that's just a record, like, we're asking for trouble there um, because we're not, you know, implementing the, you know, improvements to, to make our streets safer. When you say likely without a helmet, it is the law, is it not, to wear a helmet on a bike? No. Yeah. Not the law? As long as you're an adult, you don't have to wear a helmet. Just for kids? Just for kids, yeah. Hmm. I, I should be a law. <laughs> <laughs> it's a law for motorcycles, right? Yeah. Right. Yes. And, and class 3 e-bikes, it's a law. So... Oh. Like the e-bike that I have is a class three e-bike, and I um, and I it's it's a law that I wear a helmet. But a class two e-bike, those have pedal assist up to twenty miles an hour, and you don't right. have to wear a helmet. Yeah. Wow. So we've got some work to do with uh, making the bike infrastructure safer in Petaluma. Yeah, and so right now, I, I, you mentioned my survey. I put out a survey because I wanted to hear from people, and I've got. Stories from people all over the town um, talking about unsafe conditions. Many of them, uh, many of them, exist next to schools, yeah. and um, and that you know that's a, that's a problem. You know, I've got um, the police chief has said that death and injury from traffic accidents outnumber violent crime two to one in Petaluma, and we need to focus more on safety. You know, the school board is, is behind them. They, you know, this is about safety for, for the, the students they represent and the families they represent. So it's a big deal. And, um, you know, now I'm in the process of, you know, going to to meet the people who responded to the survey, um, learn about their situation, um, you know, talk to other neighbors in the area to try and just sort of validate the, the safety concerns and things like that. And then 
just elevating your stories because um, because safety is something where you always say, yeah, we're focused on safety, but then the you know the proof's in the pudding. Actually, put your money where your mouth is and invest in safety, mm-hmm. um, and stop putting it off. And you know, so my my approach right now is to go out and talk to people, elevate their stories, and you know, really remove the the element of plausible deniability within our council, so that we start actually um, forcing ourselves to put our money where our mouth is and and, and really make the place safer. Is the survey still available to take, or is it is it closed, Brian? It's still open. I'm going to keep it open through the month of August and then send it off. But that's my uh, – and then turn it off because I really um, – there are – what I've learned from, from talking to, to folks inside the city, there is, you know, it, it, collecting that as a public servant means that um, – we have to we have to review those, address those issues, or, or at least we have to look into them, right? right. To, to mitigate our liability. And so I don't want to have a, a secondary intake portal because the city has one on their website too, and then just sort of duplicating functions. But right. I don't hear what comes into the city's thing, and and if we're going to be spending twenty million dollar bond, which we just approved, um, on improving our roads, you know, I want to hear from my constituents about what parts of the city are unsafe, and so that as we're thinking about how to spend the money, I can, you know, really be an advocate for safety on our roadways. How can our listeners access that survey? It's on my Facebook page. Um, so that's how. Okay. Uh, when yeah. people are reporting issues, um, there was, when I was on the Tech Advisory Committee, uh, we had a pilot program with a city app. Uh, and I know the city, it hasn't been maintained. In fact, I, I tried to use it recently, and it, it wasn't working. Um, but I'm wondering if anybody has given thought to reintroducing that, because one of the provisions was uh, a way for people to very easily report issues, uh, issues with pavement, issues with safety, issues at, at you know different intersections where they take their smartphone out, they take a, take a photo, it geolocates, all that, sends the information to the city. Uh, is anybody looking into that? Not sure. Not sure. I would. Uh, I can. I can talk to the folks who are on our technology advisory committee and see. But that sounds great. Yeah, I, w- I went and I did a, a survey to the corner of Eli and Caulfield two days ago, and I met with uh, with a, a group of people where all of them had had accidents there. One guy got crushed in a in his car because someone didn't stop at the stop sign. Um, another another woman sent me a horrifying video of um, the crosswalk there on um, on Eli, where there's the near the bus stop, and you push the light and you go across, and and the bus pulled up and stopped, um, and she walked across, and um, the car in the other lane didn't stop. And the bus camera got it on, uh, got the whole thing on video, and she wow. sent me the video, and it was gut wrenching. It was, wow. um, it was scary. And and then you go there and you look, and there's no shared shared left turn lane on um, on Snow Mountain Parkway Eli there. Right. And that means anyone who's pulling out uh, of and making a left hand turn out of their their cross street is going across two lanes of traffic that are going 35 to 45 miles an hour. And then 
having to dramatically speed up to get into, you know, go with traffic that's probably going 35 to 45 miles an hour. And, um, you know, it's no wonder there's accidents on that road and, and, you know, it's right where Casa Grande is. So, of course, you know, early in the morning, you know, around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you've got higher levels of traffic. You've got inexperienced drivers, right? Like, those are areas where we need to be taking more precaution to make them safer. Um, and maybe we need to do like some cities do and have a no left turn sign. People just have to go around the block and take a take a right. Takes a little bit longer, maybe, but uh, wouldn't that improve safety? It, it might. And this is this is where you know traffic engineers are yeah. are a gem because yeah. there's you know there's different. It, it's a function of what the side streets are and things like that. You know, but it, the one thing I will say is, is that traffic, you know, making our streets safer, calming traffic, and and really the, the, the shift in the way that our streets are designed is is not just an engineering problem. It's also um, a public relations problem, a communications challenge, a community organizing challenge, because what we're talking about is it's a cultural shift. You know, we're, we're a car city. We're, you know, American graffiti. We've got the racetrack, yeah. like, we are, like, cars are embedded in who Petaluma is, yeah. um, but it doesn't mean that we, you know, we need to not make our, make it safer for other modes of transportation. If it's safe for one, it's safe for all, and the opposite applies, too. Do you think maybe we should uh, change that? Maybe we shouldn't be such a car-oriented city. I mean, we have this... Uh, this thing every year with the, everybody with their classic cars, um, people love it, right? But I mean, aren't we just further encouraging that that way of thinking? I don't think I don't think that our our, our historical, you know, our, our traditions are the cause of of our, our congestion and our unsafe, you know, everyday conditions. It's. Um, but it's a mindset. It reinforces the mindset. Um, I, I mean, I'm with you. I love those classic cars. I love the classic yeah. car days. I don't want to take that stuff away from anyone. But at the same time, we do have to evolve. And, and um, you know, we, we this is it's becoming archaic. It's becoming incompatibility, in, incompatible with what we need to do uh, to tackle climate change and, of course, protect public safety. So... What if we had instead of that a day where we we close off the streets to traffic and it's just bikes and people walking? I mean, some sort right, of so I'm totally for that. I'm totally for that. Yeah. That you know we should we should be doing more to draw attention to that. We started a uh, you know there's there's different rides that go on around town. Yeah. Um, you know I think we need more um, more focus on on creating safer conditions and getting people you know, to ride their bikes. Part of it is we don't have any bike parking in downtown. You know, how can we ask people to ride their bikes there if there's no place for them to park? Yeah. I always wind up parking it at this random pole or something. Yeah, and, that's what I do. And when you have bike parking <laughs> and you see all those bikes there, it reminds you to, to ride your bike. Yeah. You know, like when you have random bikes chained to different things, it doesn't, doesn't it, it, it's, you know, you can, you can ha- we can have both. I guess is yeah. my thing. We, we, don't, we don't have to take away classic car days sure. to, to have bike days sure. and to have more of a bike. But what's happened I, I haven't seen us yeah. do that. I haven't had a see like a weekend where we just cl- shut down Petaluma Boulevard or part of it or something or 
and and all it is is for bikes and people walking. That would be so cool. We yep. could have vendors with uh, people selling things. Uh, it would be outdoors. It would be safer because of COVID. Um, those are the kind of things that I think can help in terms of raising the public awareness and getting people to kind of paradigm shift. But you're right. Ultimately, we have to have a safe environment 24-7 for people to bike around in order for it to really take off. Yeah. That might include a safety campaign because uh, when you mentioned that no, no left turn yeah. uh, suggestion, yeah. uh, I, the thing that I think about is the, the Postal Distribution Center on McDowell, where oh, yeah. in the last couple of years they yep. put a no left turn sign there. Yep. I'm, I'm going to say 50% of the time I see people turning left there anyway. So it's just yeah. about, you know, making people mindful that yeah. what they're doing is not okay and putting people at risk for yeah. injury. Yeah. So. Enforcement super, super important with all this stuff. It's, it's the thing that can that can make a big difference. Like if you if you do a speed trap on a certain section of street for a month straight and you ticket 250, it works. 400 <laughs> people in a certain area. And you get that, and you create the reputation like, oh man, there's there are real jerks in this area. That's a good thing, you know. And you know, one of the things that like overwhelmingly Keokuk Street, then yep. St. Vincent left out, and those high school kids are blowing through those stop signs on Keokuk Street, and you know, and you know, gassing it through there. Because we've got to do something about that. That's the neighborhood. Yeah. Those are you know, inexperienced drivers driving crazy and not taking, not thinking, and um. Yeah. Now, absolutely, though. <laughs> well, it's an important topic that we're, that we're talking about. Um, there was, you mentioned something about violent crime a little while ago, and I just wanted to briefly touch on the fact that we did have two unfortunate events recently, I'm sure you you are aware about, that happened very late between the hours, I think, of 3 and 4 a.m. Um, this was, I believe, last weekend, um, where uh, two people were stabbed apparently randomly by uh, four people that just, you know, four males were walking down the streets on Kentucky. Two people were waiting after, um, they were waiting for an Uber after coming out of a bar. And uh, I'm just wondering if anything can be done maybe to um, to get some, some little, I don't know, a little bit more patrolling happening in those late hours uh, on the weekends. I don't, I don't know that more can be done. Yeah. You know, it's not my, I don't do the scheduling for our, our police yeah. department. Um, you know, I I feel like there is a, a, a strong presence there, and sometimes things like that happen, and it's really yeah. unfortunate and, and un, unacceptable. We can't tolerate it. Yeah. Um, but I'm not going to say that it, it happened or it could have been prevented if we had more police presence there or something like that. And you know, who knows what other calls have been, you know, come in during that time. But, right. yeah, those are, it's, those are terrible stories for our town. They they don't do us, um, not who Petaluma is, and, and certainly not who, you know, the direction we want to be headed in. Yeah, totally. Well, I tell my kids to, uh, you know, just call me for a ride and, and stay in, inside. They're not out that late, but... <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it does make me think twice about, uh, going out and staying late at night. Um, I, I'm not normally out around 3 a.m. So, um, but, you know, that's just the issue I think is that there's not a lot of people out and so people don't see this stuff. And, uh, 
there's there's uh, no one to dissuade it from happening, unfortunately. But I just wondered if police might be stepping up patrols uh, at that hour just to just to be safer. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. Yeah. I never even heard about that. Was that the paper? Yeah, it was in the paper. There were two separate incidents. There was another one. Uh, they were unrelated. The other one um, was uh, somewhere on the east side, uh, southeast. Mm. Okay. Well, I guess I didn't do my homework this last week. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I gained a lot of knowledge today in listening to you, Brian. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Yep. And we'll have you Very back fun. again. Yeah, we'll have you back again. Uh, we've been talking with Brian Barnacle from the Petaluma City Council. And I'm Cindy Thomas. Here with Jason Davies, uh, my co-host today on Inside Petaluma here on KPCA 103.3 FM. And we are here every Friday from 11 to noon. Janice, I'm hoping, will be back with us next week. And um, not not certain yet who our guest is going to be next week, but it's going to be good. It's always good. <laughs> we, it's a great show. In fact, I had... Uh, uh, I had somebody, well, we had Susan Kirks on the show recently. Yeah. I think I told you, I, I pulled up to my parents' home and uh, saw two, my mom with some woman out in the field looking at holes in the ground, and it turned out it was Susan Kirks who we had on the show, and they were looking at badger holes. So She's she a badger expert. <laughs> oh, she, she just couldn't tell my mother how much she loved listening to our show every week. And, uh, oh, but what, what's not to love? It's a good show. Anyway, uh, we'll be back here again at 11 o'clock next Friday morning. And you can go to our Facebook page, KPCA Inside Petaluma, and give us a like. And if you want to hear any past shows, you can go to our website at InsidePetaluma.com, uh, where we have podcast availability and MP3 files that you can listen to on your computer or other listening device. So, um, any any other announcements, Jason? Before we go, we got about another minute or two. Please, everyone, stay safe. Uh, yeah. Make sure, even if you've been vaccinated, uh, just do be very careful out there because this uh, this these new strains are are. I mean, I don't know exactly which one I got. I'm assuming it was Delta, but it's highly contagious. And uh, your best defense is to get vaccinated. Uh, no question. And continue wearing facial coverings. Yes, very wear your, important. Wear your face masks. Wear them outdoors if you if you feel like you need to. Yeah. And you probably should always feel like you need to because, it's, like Jason said, it's just it's so unpredictable. <laughs> we, don't know, we don't know enough about it. Well, yeah, and then you have asymptomatic carriers. You know, people, you people yeah. have no symptoms and they can be passing it. So it's it's tricky, tricky yeah. situation. Stay safe, everyone. Yeah. And if you think that you're having symptoms, stay home. Go get stay tested home. and stay yeah. home. Stay home. All right. We'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody, and take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.